Welcome to Arts for the Health of It, a podcast where you will discover creative ways to improve your health and well-being. Someone may have told you that art isn't for you, but they were wrong. Anyone can create Arts for the Health of It. No talent or experience necessary. I'm just a little songbird. Try to fly my way homeward with the melody and I make the beat. Don't know where it'll take me, take me. Cause when I'm in the dark of night, I sing my way back to the light. Come along with me and your heart will see that a song changes everything. friends welcome to the arts for the health of it podcast i am your host richard wilmore i'm your co-host constanza reader no that's your last name and uh, <laughs> i couldn't say it a second ago <laughs> it's true. sometimes the Sorry, hardest honey. part of this entire podcast is doing a three-minute introduction to the episode <laughs> and here we are here we are yes uh we did have a great guest today though that i'm really excited uh to have you listen to it or watch it depending on where you're where you're tuning in um it's well you say his last name because i'm probably going to butcher it and i have to say some hard names in a little bit (laughs) sergio navaretta he's a fellow italian and he's a filmmaker and he has a beautiful film he released last year called the cuban um and i love filmmaking as an art form because it really combines all the different art forms to tell a story and the story in this film the cuban um, focuses in on um, a character, Luis, who has dementia and one of his caregivers who uses music to kind of bring him out of his shell and out of his um, catatonic state to really reclaim his personhood. And it's beautiful. It's such a beautiful film. It's not. Yes. It's like from beginning to end, like opening credits to at like just it's a beautiful it's 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 an art in itself and then there's the story in it and i love the tagline of uh, a journey of love friendship and the power of music and Mm -hmm. it's so well told and he has such a history with arts and health it's not every day that you know when you're in the bubble of arts and health you hear it all the time and then you hear someone that you maybe don't think knows about it and then they're like uh yeah this is yes an arts and health (laughs) podcast yes i'd love to come on like that's my entire life And you're like oh okay cool and then that was sergio and he you know has has lived it since he was a kid and that's it was a really he has a very fascinating story yeah it was really cool to hear his story his relationship with the arts how he how he's used it in his own journey um and then and then the making of this movie what a cool story even just kind of the some of the behind the scenes stuff but there's so many scenes in this movie that just give me goosebumps and oh i just love it um and at the end of his um interview you'll hear where you can watch it too so make sure you listen for the end um but one of the uh one of the themes that came up in this uh, in this interview was the ability for music to shift our mood and our perspective. Mm-hmm. And um, I have some good friends who are music therapists who um, designed an activity that I think we should do, Richard. Oh, boy. Do I have to <laughs> sing? Am I singing? You don't have to sing. Please. Right, we cannot afford the... The rights for the songs that, <laughs> or the breaking of the camera screen when I or hit the on the breaking of the no, Richard. Oh, <laughs> uh, the activity is to develop a personalized playlist, hmm. and what this does, and it's taking advantage of this idea that music can shift our mood. So, um, we actually have a downloadable. Um, PDF of this activity that you can go to our our website, heartseenart.org, click on podcast, and um, you can download this personalized playlist. I'm showing it here on for our viewers on YouTube. Um, you can download the template and it walks you through how to do this activity. But what you do, let's say that you woke up and you're in a bad mood. Like my eight month old was awake between five and 630 this morning. And the I'm cats t- got me up 70 times last night. So oh, yes. 
So we're both tired. Maybe our personalized playlist will look the same. So the first goal is to to name what you're feeling right now. Um, Maybe I'm feeling a little bit frustrated. So we're looking. I I need to write down like how I'm feeling. Yes. Name like name what you're feeling. Um. I'm going to write down exhausted <laughs> and overwhelmed. Ooh. Ooh. What's that? Yes. And then the you want to write down a second feeling. This is how you want to feel. I want to feel. One word? Oh, I mean, it could be one word, a couple of words. Energize. I want to feel energized. That's what I wrote down. Oh, oh, okay, okay. My other word is creative because I have a lot of a stuff lot of I have creating to create to do. after this. Yes, yes. Um, those are good words. Okay, you. so you go back to your first word, and you're gonna come up with the names of three different songs. So the first song you want to think of a song that reflects how you're feeling right now. So what do you think of when you think of the mood of being frustrated or tired? Just one song. I'm going to do uh, Macy Gray, A Moment to Myself. Oh, okay. Moment to Myself. Okay. Now think of a song that reflects how you want to feel. That's energized and creative. (laughs) The song that... Yeah, what song did you pick for your first one? Um, I don't know. I are you cheating and not filling and this not out? Doing and you're this? just deflecting to me. No, yes. everybody has to do this. That is what I'm doing. Everybody, because I'm frustrated and tired. This is why. Okay, well, hold on. what would I think of for frustrated and tired? It's more like a sound for me. I can't think of a song. It's just like. Aah! That's the sound, Mike. I'm so sorry, Ivan. Uh, <laughs> that's the sound my cat makes at three in the morning. Usually like, there's a hairball involved, but. It's like the, the most annoying sound in the world. Is it, it's like Some a, it's like nails on a chalkboard and pulling yes. your hair out at the yep. same time. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, so that's, that's my sound. And what? Okay. And, what's and then the energized that, and creative. Is that a sound or is that a word? Um. The thing that keeps going uh, through my head is, I can't. I don't. I don't know if I can. If I can sing the first part of it, it's by Miley Cyrus, and she's on a wrecking ball. Is it called Wrecking I, Ball? I know. I can't say it without singing the lyrics. This is the problem oh. I have. <laughs> you can't even say the title of it without singing it. I came in like a wrecking ball. No, I can't. It's very, very challenging. I don't know. That image of just like, through. that's very, that's very energizing sounding to me right now on a different day. It might be a completely different song, but that's what it is right now. So that's your, that's your third song in your playlist. Now you want to find Wait, a middle third song. Oh, right. Second song we're coming up with right now, but third song at the end. Well, okay. No, the second song we just came up with needs to reflect the mood that you want, mood state that you want. Right. And really that's going to, in your playlist that you're creating, you're creating a playlist of three songs. The first song we found is number one. Mm -hmm. The song we just found is actually the third song. Right. Now the middle song of your playlist, you want to think of a song that kind of is, can be a bridge between those two feelings. That's kind of in between that exhausted frustrated to enter energetic and creative okay i've got something in mind no because this is the thing (laughs) i'm trying to figure out if so i am like a very lyrical person like i love lyrics to songs Mm. so i'm thinking of like what song lyrics are really my mood that i'm like but then there are also songs that i just love the actual music too that like yeah. get me really excited. Yeah, okay. so you may, you may have to pick. I think I I think I have it. Okay, what is it? Final answer. So number one is Macy Gray, a moment to myself because those are lyrics of like just give me a moment to myself. Like I would be that mother and like who shuts herself in the closet door and is eating <laughs> like carrots. Like just give me a second. And then my middle song strictly for the music purposes 
not lyrics would be Nelly's little bit because I love ah, that song right now. Nice. <laughs> and then my last song that like I can put on anytime I like need to be at hundred percent is Madonna's music because music makes the people come together. Yes, I love it. That's my list. I think that's on the bracelet that you gave me, right? Yes. That was my Christmas gift. Yep, it's I true. Look, I look at that every day. Yes. Um. Yes, and mine are. Ah! And then I think my middle one would be um a song called "The Blessing." Um, it's just like I, it's a song that I go to when I need to kind of refocus. Um, it's by Carrie Job and a couple other people. And it's just this blessing that's um, actually pulled from um, a piece of scripture. And uh, whenever I need to like shift, that's like my go-to song. And then my ending feeling, <laughs> I came in like a wrecking ball, <laughs> wrecking ball Miley Cyrus. <laughs> I'm all over the place today. And that's okay. Your playlist can be all over the place. So the idea is you can create um, a playlist for different mood states. And then when you're feeling that way, you can just play your playlist and see how it helps you to shift your mood. So you can, again, go to our website to download a template where you can create several different um, personalized playlists for different mood states. Um, and that's your little activity today. And Richard, even just you want- like writing it down, like made me excited. Yeah, it's kind of even just thinking, like even just hearing this, yeah. the songs playing my head. It in like, your head, and you're trying to like the lyrics and like what song is what. Yeah, and I will 100 percent be listening to these songs after I listen to this interview with Sergio. Yes, and I'll go do it. So <laughs> we won't waste your time anymore. But go download that playlist at heartsneedart.org. Sergio Navarrete is an internationally recognized award-winning director who is fiercely passionate about bringing meaningful content to the screen. He draws inspiration from Italian neorealism, wowzers, and considers his work an exploration (laughs) of the human condition. Navarrete's projects are touching, relevant, inclusive, often humorous, and most importantly, entertaining. He is currently hard at work innovating creative ways for his projects and the film industry at large to press on during the unprecedented COVID-19 crisis. So take a look and listen at our interview with Sergio. Enjoy. Enjoy. Yes. <laughs> well, let's just start, shall we? Let's. Now, yeah. now that we're all here, thanks for uh, joining us today. Thanks for having me. I feel uh, like I found my tribe. I see see arts and I see health and I'm looking at your backgrounds and uh, I feel very at home. This is great. Well, welcome. That's how I found. That's how I felt when I found this field. So, and it is, it's like a tribe and you're like, oh my gosh, (laughs) it's my people. (laughs) Arts and health is not in everybody's everyday vocabulary. How did you come across what arts and health is and why did it resonate with you? Uh, I think like everything, whether we admit it or not, um, you know, some, some of the themes and, and um, works that I've explored are very personal. So mm. for me, um, and I, I don't admit this often, but, but it is true. Uh, in my late teens and early twenties, I had debilitating anxiety uh, where I couldn't leave my home and um, it was, it was bad. Uh, and it's not something I speak about publicly at all, but the truth is that um, art for me was, was my refuge uh, music in particular theater and then later film. Um, but, you know, it was the way that I communicated with the world, it was sort of like the language that I used and uh, it's where I went for, you know, to find mental wellness and to kind of, um, accept who I was and, and, uh, and like I was saying earlier, find my tribe and, and my community um, where, where, you know, where you can just be who you, who you were born to be authentically and not have to apologize for it. I couldn't mm. find that in any other field. Like, you know, my dad was pushing me into law school. It's like, I wasn't going to find that in a legal career <laughs> <laughs> or work, work it on wall street. It's certainly, you know, it's not going to happen or in real estate. I, I just, yeah. I mean, there's so so much we could say about mental wellness, but I'll, I'll let you uh, 
lead the conversation. Uh, but that's kind of how I sort of, um, that was my initial connection to it. Yeah, I mean, we're here every week, so we're here to listen to you. So you talk as much as you want. <laughs> we have every week to hear our voices. All right. I appreciate that. So you have this new movie, The Cuban, and I just got chills watching through sections of this. I love it so much. Um, can you talk a little bit about it? Can you give our listeners um, an introduction to this movie? Sure, absolutely. Um the Cuban is essentially about a young Afghan nurse who befriends um, this elderly Cuban musician with Alzheimer's. So the movie begins with, where he's completely catatonic, non-responsive, and through their interactions and through the power of music, he starts to come to life again. So, um, so that's really what the movie is about. Uh, the impetus for it was really uh, cathartic for me because uh, my dad had passed away around that time, uh, suddenly at 71, and it was something I wasn't expecting. Um, so there was that, there was the exploration of, uh, and celebration of the imagination. So that was another sort of uh, driving factor for me. And then we were sort of exposed to this idea of music therapy through a local radio station called Jazz FM. And they had a, an iPod program where they were providing iPods for uh, you know patients that were suffering from Alzheimer's and, and other ailments, but particularly dementia and Alzheimer's. And they were fi <clears throat> finding incredible, uh, incredible positive results from just playing music that they were used to when they, you know, at a certain period in their, in their life. And um, the, the, the more we started digging into this, the more we started realizing how important and impactful music is in, in, in our lives. And I think certainly during the pandemic, we've all learned that, <laughs> It can, music can take you out of any state at any time. Um, so anyway, that that was where it started, and, and I'm really excited because it's it not only uh, shines a light on elderly care and Alzheimer's, uh, but it's also uplifting. And I think you know, it was sort of like a perfect storm for for the release of of a movie like this. I think it it it, um, it gave people hope, and I, I hope that it's uplifting. I mean, that that was the goal. Yeah, I. Totally. There are three scenes in particular that I got like major chills from. Um, the first was when um, Anna first plays music for him mm -hmm. and his whole like countenance shifts. And for us, that's a very um, familiar scene. You know, one of the one of the units that we um, we work with virtually right now, of course, because pandemic Um through Hearts Need Art, their organization is a cardiac and stroke rehab unit. And so it's a, it's a similar thing where they um, will sometimes start a music session and a patient is agitated or just kind of catatonic, like not really um, looking around. But as soon as we start playing music that is familiar to them, like the whole energy in the root in the room shifts and people mm -hmm. kind of come alive in a completely different way. Um, and so I love that scene in the, in the movie and I'd love to hear um, in your research, did you get to witness this happen in person or see videos of it or how, how did you do your research around um, that, that piece of, of the storytelling? Well, it's a great question. Um, it really started with Alessandra Pichon, the writer. Uh, she started meeting with um, top doctors and researchers in the field. And what they presented me initially were videos um, that they were using for research purposes at uh, Baycrest Hospital in Toronto. And um, the more I would see this like coming to life, the more confidence I got in terms of having to approach something uh, so remarkable. In order for me as a filmmaker to pretend it, I had to see it and witness it for myself. And then I met this woman, Kim, and she had um, she has a husband um, who has uh, who has Alzheimer's and uh, his name's Raul. He's an Argentinian filmmaker, artist, Renaissance man, poet. So I went to visit him and I was sort of like a fly on the wall. I was sitting in the corner and I just saw their interaction. She started humming music and then she had a little tape recorder, started playing music to him or with iPhone, I can't remember, but I just, I was so focused on his reaction and he just like came to life. It was the most beautiful thing I'd ever seen. And, and I said, it appears that you had the most incredible, most idyllic relationship. Like it's something out of a movie. 
Aww. And she said, no, we have <laughs> a relationship. And, the, and in some ways, the dementia took the edge off. She said, mm. he doesn't have the angst that he used to have or the anxieties around being an artist and the, you know, the insecurities around that and, and the uncertainty and all the things that I guess he had gone through in his life. And in a way, this was sort of like, you know, a golden uh, chapter in their life. It was strange because that was the first time I had heard someone articulate it in such a positive way, in such a beautiful way. And, mm. uh, and you know, after that experience, you know, I was off to the races and sort of like, then it was just negotiating with my editor in the editing room, like, how far do we go? When, when do we pull back? When does he become more responsive? Those are things, I mean... He gave an incredible performance. Lugasa Jr. is a living legend. So it starts with that. It's just him delivering options, like amazing, amazing options. And then and then in the editing room, we sort of shaped it. That was the trickiest part. We we knew that if that didn't work, the whole it'd blow the whole movie. So we had to make it realistic uh and and truthful oh was, in my book you nailed it. That was what, great. Oh, what you. was your initial reaction when you first like heard that about this movie or like that like were you signed on right away like as soon as you uh like heard that you know uh, heard the story and heard like because it's so i don't know it's it seems so personal it seems like it could come right from you could have written it or you know like so many people could have written this same story because music does that with people yes yeah, I, I mean, I was involved uh, since the inception. So it was really um, written for me, for the actors, for, you know, we sort of like all participated in the development of it. So there's a piece of us, each of us in, in the movie, for sure. Some of it subconscious, some of it very conscious. Um, yeah, I didn't realize the Alzheimer's piece, like it must have been a decade ago, I had met a, a relative in a, in a nursing home and she had mistaken me for a soldier in World War II. And she mm. stood up and like played out this whole scene. And I'm just sitting there witnessing it. And uh, and that struck me so much that I thought one day I'd love to make a film about this. Um, mm. But I didn't make the connection until way later after the film was released that, you know, there was a part of that. And then the Cuban part is really like, it's an homage uh, to my dad because he was obsessed with Cuba. And we used to have a lot of, uh, debates and arguments about it, um, you know, that like the whole, like politically, right? Because mm-hmm. he's very left wing socialist, communist, you know. And I just, I used to go nuts just like having those those discussions with him. So yeah, after he passed, I said, you know, it's it's unfortunate that he didn't. He, he's never he had never traveled to Cuba, mm. uh, yet he had all these posters on his wall in his office. And um, so anyway, that that was a way for me to discover it for myself. And I went in with some really like firm ideas about what I thought it was. And then I was completely wrong about all of it. Like, it's just such a magical place, um, you know, that uh, somehow they've been able to transcend racial barriers, uh, financial, social barriers, and they all come together as one culture. And they're very proud, very proud people and very, um, very welcoming, very warm, very warm culture. So I learned Cause you got to film on location for part of this, right? Yeah. We filmed in Havana and just like for one week of filming, it took us a month of prep. So that to give you kind of a sense of how difficult it is and challenging it is to shoot there. Um, But what it taught me is like, I used to think I needed to control everything as a director. I needed to go in with ideas and I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to do this. This is about me. I'm going to make this film, you know? And then I realized after the experience that it's really a process of letting go and getting out of the way and, and just being a channel for it and letting it, um, letting it happen. If that makes sense. Mm. While <laughs> I guess while corralling and while puppeteering, there's some magic that happens that if you're open to it, um, you could surprise yourself. And that's what happened to me. I, I think in Havana, I transformed like some of those scenes, you know, I, I kind of like, you know, made up while I was there because we didn't have a choice. Like it was mm. through that, through that struggle, uh, you know, we, we, we ended up getting things that were made way more interesting. 
that's always nice, right? Uh, a nice surprise. Yeah, and I get to take credit for it. <laughs> <laughs> of course, that's what I meant to do. It didn't happen by accident. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That was planned the entire time. Yeah. I, I'd like to talk about some of the other art forms that you do and like when you started them and why you do each of them, like what you get out of them. Uh, Cause I think it's cool that you like, you know, started with music and now you're making films and like how that kind of progressed. Cause that's a, that's a lot to take on and that's a lot of learning and, but why it was important for you to, to kind of dabble in a lot of things. I guess the 30,000 view answer is that every time I did something that made me uncomfortable, I had an opportunity to grow. So mm-hmm. I've done crazy things like dance on stage in a bikini in front of people. I've done like, not so, I know. Do we have cool. photos of that? Is there a video? Yeah. Let's roll <laughs> that and then roll that video. <laughs> I've been on stage, like I've, I've uh, I sang in a band. Uh, we did a concert in front of like 10,000 people. Um, things that were like completely out of character that I, inside I was like terrified. But I think it's all like uh, character building. And uh yeah, I just get so much. That's why I really fell in love with this art form because I really get to interact with artists from all types of, uh, uh, you know, traditions and practices and whether I'm dealing with a production designer or wardrobe, uh, hair and makeup, you know, the actors themselves. I, I studied some acting just so I can understand a little bit about how that all works. Um, I love it all. Um, and you know, the music as well. Like I, I'm involved in every aspect of the music. Like I'm there in the studio the whole time. With this film, we recorded the music beforehand. So I was playing it on set between takes and, you know, while I was getting ready to go to set every morning. And it was sort of like something that was wired into us that we needed to, to get everybody on the same frequency. So, yeah, I mean, all those um, all those art forms are really exciting to me. And I think that's what keeps it interesting because... I feel like some filmmakers get obsessed with the the tech or, you know, they get obsessed with the script or what, for me, um, I just love it all. And it, it keeps me interested and stimulated throughout the whole process. Have you ever been afraid to try something or are you just like, whatever happens, happens? I'm always afraid. I'm afraid to get out of bed, but I, I, I learned, <laughs> I learned to kind of, uh, feel the fear and do it anyway. I know it sounds cliche and new agey, but that's the truth. I really, I'm always afraid to try something new. Uh, I'm afraid to embark on a new film project, uh, but somehow the universe has a way of tricking me into it. You know, like, oh, let's just do a short film or let's do a play, you know, don't worry, it'll be fine. And then it all like balloons into like three years of my life and, <laughs> and remortgaging my house and craziness. So anyway. Well, I, I love your description of, you know, how, how filmmaking intersects with all these different types of art forms, you know, yeah. from um, photography to art design to music to act. I mean, it's like it's like all the things. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wonder if you could you had such an amazing group of actors on this film. Um, I wonder if you could talk about your experience with working with them and, you know, if if these were new ideas for them and how was it to play these characters that were either working in a health facility um, or portraying, you know, someone with dementia. I just am curious from, obviously you can't speak directly for them, but um, from your observation, how, how was it working with them and how were they impacted? I think, um, I think from, from my observation, uh, it was incredibly personal for each and every one of them. So they all brought something to it and they were all curious because of the nature of the film. I think they were all invested in it. So they asked a lot of questions. They were involved in research like Shoraya Dashlu, you know, I met her 10 years ago at a film festival and I swore I would end up working with her one day. And this was the perfect vehicle and project you know, when I met with her, I didn't know that her dad had Alzheimer's. Mm. So at our first meeting, I mean, she was very emotional. And she said, I absolutely want to do this uh, to honor my father. So that's one example. And then we spent uh, six months at her place, like having dinner, drinking wine, inviting in what I call my Afghan family. And we just have discussions about 
you know, just the nuances of the culture, um, how they would want the culture portrayed, what's important to them. And then from that, I decipher. And, you know, of course, the writer will take whatever she thought was important and, and put it into the script. But, yeah, there was a lot of time spent. And you don't usually get that luxury in television. You just hand a director or an actor a script, and then they have to, like, find their way into it somehow. Uh, with this, it was the other way. It was sort of, like, reverse engineered, and we sort of developed it with the actors uh, involved. Um, so even Giacomo Gignotti, for example, from Grey's Anatomy, I mean – yeah, I said to him one day, you remind me of a young Brando. Like, he's just so invested and so mm. committed to it and asked so many questions. And I just enjoyed that process very much. Um, mm. So, yeah, I think even the, even some of the actors that I handpicked that had one line, they're all, like, very accomplished, like, you know, and they were just gracious enough to come on set, bring their their energy and their contribution to it. And I think that's a testament to, you know, setting out to do something that is important and meaningful versus, Hey, wouldn't it be cool to do a slasher movie in the woods? You know, I'll, I just have to say like the, all the performances in this down to, like you said, the, even people just had one liners were just really stunning. There just was a, a, a authentic authenticity about this movie and the performances that I thought were really striking. And I think it touches on what you just said about you know, this is the difference between making something meaningful versus just making something that may be commercially successful. Um, can you tell me more about the passion and what that's rooted in and what other stories are you passionate about telling one day? Yeah, I think from my very first uh, feature film, Looking for Angelina, um, that basically was about um, an immigrant woman who had murdered her abusive husband with an ass acts on Easter Sunday in 1911. And it became one of the most sensational murder trials in North American history. And one of these stories that no one's ever heard about. So it was mm -hmm. like, it was really a gift to kind of have the opportunity to tell her story. But what I learned is just what kind of an impact making a film can have. So because of that film, I mean, uh, dozens and dozens of people were affected by it. Um, people shared their stories at screenings. Uh, we, we hosted a, you know, a ton of panel discussions, learning about the issue. Um, so, you know, the impact piece was always important to us as a company and, and to me as a creator. I, um, I just can't find any other way into doing what I do if I can't personalize it or if, it, if it's not important to me. Mm -hmm. so, so, yeah, I mean, I, that was the thing. I, just, I was very clear about it from when I started that I wanted to make socially conscious movies and television projects. And, you know, what does that mean? Socially conscious could mean, you know, could mean anything. I can make a love story that seems frivolous, but underneath, you know, there could be some kind of a social message or commentary on like a film I did, the colossal failure of the modern relationship. It seems like a comedy at first. And then you realize that, Oh my God, you know, it's dealing with some real, <clears throat> real life relationship issues that people go through. So, so yeah, for me, that, that's the exciting part is really, uh, and then it, it feeds my curiosity of, of people, cultures, and the, and just generally the human condition. I'm just curious. I'm curious about people and what mm. makes it tick. You make a lot of art for sort of, you know, public consumption, like films. What do you do for yourself? Um, I took up Qigong, which is, and, and meditation. Oh. I don't know if that's an art. I yes. took up culinary arts because I'm Italian. Ooh. That's what we do. We eat. Yes. And, you know, like I, I don't know any other art form that you can actually like consume with a group of people. It's pretty cool, right? Um, so even though I don't eat bread because I'm celiac, I make bread every couple of days and I love it and I share it with my family. And yeah, so cooking, um, you know, like the physical, physical part, hiking. I started biking again, which I thought I would never do. You know, you start getting older and you think my knees are shot. I'm never going to do this again and forget it. But um, yeah, so that's, that's what I do. And I want to start like, uh, you know, painting ceramics and doing more tactile things. Cause I think it's important for balance and um, at coming out of 2020, which I call 2020 vision. 
<laughs> I realized that uh, it's the 80-20 rule, right? Like I want to spend 80% of my, my day working on creative things, whether it's putting a puzzle together or, you know, building something in Minecraft with my son, like hmm. creative that gives me, um, gives me joy. And then 20% I'll leave to all the other crap, accounting, <laughs> meetings, whatever, whatever. Well, first off, I have to acknowledge, um, I feel uh, very um, connected with you as a fellow Italian that is also gluten intolerant. It's uh, it's um, a very interesting conundrum when yeah. people are like, oh, let's go to Italian food. And you're like, I know I'm Italian, but I cannot eat most of the menu. <laughs> yeah. Well, fortunately and unfortunately, every place, every like fast food pizza joint now has gluten free. It's true. It's never <laughs> calorie free. It's just gluten free. <laughs> like super high in calories and not good for you. But uh, yeah, it's okay. I mean, you know, I went to Italy uh, last year and I was fine. Like there's always like, in fact, I think 10 years ago, they were the, the first country in the world that had gluten free everything in their local like pharmacy. They always had a section. Um, and there's even a subsidy for celiacs. Like I think you get so much every month to go buy your gluten-free stuff. Um, they're wow. very food is important to Italians for some reason. It's true. <laughs> Where do you live? Generally, um, so I split my time between LA and Toronto. But since the pandemic hit, I haven't been back to LA. So I, I'm in Toronto right now. So what are the what are the arts like mm -hmm. in Toronto? Compared to LA, what be a, what's that like? I think it's a vibrant community. I think it's interesting. Um, it, you know, we're we're always striving to be New York, of course, or Chicago, or even in film LA. Like, there's always this kind of like insecurity uh, that we're so close geographically to Big Brother, but um, I think we're finding our voice and. Uh, and giving ourselves the permission to express ourselves, which is which is important because we're traditionally a very conservative culture and the arts was never like a super big priority, especially among immigrant groups and immigrant families that are just trying to survive. The arts is sort of like an afterthought or a hobby or something you do when you have the luxury to do it. But that's all changing and I'm really excited about that. We have incredible or arts organizations um, art schools and and I think music in some ways has paved the way like Canadian musicians have blown up all over the world so that's kind of put a bit of a spotlight on Canada thank you Justin Bieber yes. uh, <laughs> well don't forget Drake I, I discovered Drake in New York I was like at a restaurant the waiter's like man you're from Toronto you know Drake and I go Drake who I'm gonna need a last name I don't know yeah <laughs> Um, now I listen to Drake in the shower. It gets me pumped in the morning. Well, I think music is one of those definitely like easy access ways to improving your health when you don't even realize it. Like I'm a get up in the morning, turn on music right away. And like that, and you don't even realize necessarily, or maybe you do. And I'm just behind the times because whatever, but like why you're doing it, you know, like you can casually say like, Oh, that put me in a really good mood. But like what that actually does to you and your health is so fascinating just by listening to music. So easy. Well, there are studies on this stuff. I mean, mm -hmm. they're studying frequencies and how they affect us, you know, our physiology, our biology. Uh, it's, it's, I mean, when, when medicine and hospitals start studying it and implementing it in, in their, uh, in their treatment programs, that's, that's when you know that, you know, we're onto something huge. And uh, I think it's only the beginning, you know? Yeah. I I love what you said, Richard, like, it's something that I think we instinctively, instinctively do. And it's, it's true throughout human history that the arts are this technology that we deploy um, to, to return to psychological and social equilibrium. It's just something that we um, have always used to kind of regulate to express ourselves, all those things. And I feel like I feel like sometimes in arts and health that we're just going around being <laughs> to people like, duh, like, <laughs> we're just like the duh police. <laughs> like, here's the study that gives you permission to do the thing that you your instincts are already telling you to do. Um, and I, you know, I, I, I'm just struck by this thought of, um, 
you know, how music enlivens dementia patients and kind of helps their personhood reemerge in a very unique way. And it just makes me think how much of our own personhood, those of us even with that don't have dementia, how much of our own personhood um, is connected to music and the arts, whether we know it or acknowledge it or not. And I guess I would be curious on your take um, about the role that the arts could or should play in our in our society. Well, there is a famous quote that uh, a society without art ceases to exist. It sounds dramatic, but it is absolutely a fact. And, uh, you know, when I delve into my own history and when I've been back to places like Pompeii that, you know, were thriving societies 2000 years ago, you had your amphitheater, you had your, your art and culture, paintings everywhere, your brothel, your fast food joints, like life was good. You know, they even found a way to like, uh, you know, uh, they had like water bills 2000 years ago. So it's crazy. It's like, but the point is like, I think art has always played a fundamental role. If, when you go back to the ancient Greeks, like, it, you know, um, and that's where our traditions come from. So I, I sometimes wonder, you know, I've always been curious about how much information, feelings, memory comes from our DNA. Like how much is actually wired into us and mm. how much is like, how much is innate, how much is learned? You know, mm. when I was in university, it was all about everything's learned. It's your environment and your parents. And I just, I don't know. I, uh, I saw this Aboriginal healer once and he said, you carry the, the wisdom, the burden, the pain of generations of your ancestors. Mm. Right? So when you think about that, it's like, when I wake up in the morning, am I just feeling my feelings or is there more to it? There's mm. something deeper going on. So, so yeah, I think um, just generally art has the ability to, to enrich our lives and make us better as, as, as humans. And mm. as, you know, like capitalists try to suppress the arts. I mean, there's like, there's, there's an economic impact to that. Take the arts out of schools, you know, government too. You know, it's the first thing they shrink is creativity and art. One of the like geography, and we'll figure it out on YouTube or, you know, Google. <laughs> give us more art, you know? Especially post-COVID. Like, the arts are going to be, are such an important part of how we have survived and coped with COVID and how I think it, it will be an important part of our recovery. Um, and I'm curious a little bit about how COVID impacted the release of this film and um, how you've coped during this time. Yeah, it's, it's something I hadn't had time to think about until a few weeks ago. Um, you know, cause we sort of like in March, we were coming off a great festival run and it was all very exciting. And then I was in LA and I started seeing people come off planes from China with masks on in the hotel. And I'm just like, Oh my God. This is not going to end well. And then, so I came back to Toronto and then we had a week where we had to decide, do we shelve the movie and no one ever sees it? Or do we find creative ways to forge on and, and, uh, and find an opportunity in it? And what ended up happening is we found drive-in theaters that were still open in Canada. Um, so we just started, we did a road show. We just mounted a road show and started like taking the film around and uh, bringing it to people safely. And it brought people so much joy Mm. You know, it was so beautiful to see families out again. Um, so that that happened. And then we're like, well, there's no other films being released in America. Why don't we release it? And there was resistance because with every everything new, there's always resistance. So it ended up opening in like 50 cities in the U.S. Some of them were like, you know, real hard top theaters uh, that had to pivot and then suddenly became virtual. So you know, it wasn't the ideal. I would have loved for people to see it on a big screen in the dark together. Um, but they saw it this way. And then it ended up like going all the way to running the Oscar nomination race, which, you know, and featured in Time Magazine and like the trades. It was like amazing. So in the midst of tragedy, in the midst of adversity, uh, we found sort of an opening in the industry where things were a little quiet on the film side. So mm. for us, for us, it was like a silver lining. And I don't think 
as many people would have seen it or appreciated it pre-COVID. So mm. yeah, it was, it was a big learning for us. And for me personally, it was, um, you know, some days I feel like I'm on top of the world. Like we're in a Renaissance period, a, a reset, we're going to come out stronger and better. And then some days I just don't want to get out of bed, you know? So it's, I think, I think everyone's feeling that just kind of like that flip flop thing. Um, I've been in uh, several rooms in clubhouse recently. This um, woman, chimed in just out of the blue. I was just sitting there kind of like silently in the corner listening in. And, uh, and she just started crying seeing how much this film, the Cuban meant to her. And I was just like, wow. Mm. So sometimes we operate in our bubble, not really realizing how many people we're actually affecting with our words, with our art and with our actions. So, um, so it's an interesting time. I think what's interesting about it is that we're all in it together and we're all feeling the same feelings at the same time. Like, going through those stages of grief and, and trying to figure out how we can come out better. Um, and I don't know, personally, normal wasn't working for me. I don't know about you all, but y'all, you all. Um, <laughs> We're in Texas. It's y'all. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, I don't want to go back to normal. How are you feeling mm. about it? Oh, it's a, it's a, oh, he turned the table now asking us questions. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I love, you know, this podcast is one of those silver linings of of COVID where we've been talking about it forever, but haven't given it the energy and the time. And then suddenly you had the time and we were like, oh, no, this is when it should happen. So I think there are a lot of things that are going to hopefully stick around uh, because there's such a benefit and we never would have done them without it. Not that I want like another COVID, but, you know, yeah, there's like... Yeah. We've learned a lot. We've learned a lot about ourselves and, and community and the world and coming, you know, like I, I uh, hope a lot of stuff changes. That's one of the things I said about when COVID happened and everyone was on their balcony singing to each other, strangers, and everyone yeah. was live streaming their artwork for free and just like, take this. This is what I have to give. And I hope that never goes away because look at what we turned to at the beginning, like when it happened, we went right mm -hmm. to the arts. And mm -hmm. we didn't, we didn't even know we were doing it and why we were doing it. Mm -hmm. uh, but there mm -hmm. we were. So I hope we were doing arts for the health of it. Yes. <laughs> ding, ding, ding. <laughs> uh, where can people watch the film? So now it's available on Showtime and all the streaming services, iTunes and the various other platforms. Um, and then uh, the go to, I mean, yeah, all, all the stuff is on my social media, on my Instagram uh, Facebook or whatever, Twitter. Um, and then the, the film has a website, thecubamovie.com. Hmm. So that is the go-to place. It's beautiful. If you're listening, you have to go watch this movie. It's it's just a stunning, like, it's beautiful. I love it. Thank you. I really appreciate that. Yes. I love the, um, the like, the visual aspect of it. Like, I even, like, the opening, like, credits to me are just, like, it... It's so, it's such a vibe it builds and a mood that like, you know exactly what you're getting into. And I'm like, oh, oh yes. Like, I just want to grab it and kiss it. <laughs> you felt that way. This is a team sport. It's a collective art form. So every, behind every piece, including the opening credits was a, was a visual artist or some form, some type of artist. Um, you know, we didn't talk about like Hilario Duran, who's an incredible musician. Uh, world-class pianist, Grammy-nominated, like he did the music. Um, so yeah, what a gift to, to, to be in the presence of greatness. And uh, it's enriching for, for a person like me to, to be around that and feed off it. So I'm glad that some of that comes through. It, uh, it's important. That's awesome. And how can people follow you if they want to follow your, your creative projects? Uh, on social media, like... Uh, I have a website too, Sergio Navarretta director.com, uh, Instagram, Twitter, all, all those things, all the awesome. things, and all the things. And I try to keep up with all of them. It's, it's really challenging, but I love, <laughs> I love that, you know, there's a community out there that, uh, that we're all a part of. So that that's what it reminds us of. And I think pre COVID everybody was becoming a little sociopathic and disconnected. So I, you know, I'm seeing a difference. I'm seeing a lot of people even in Hollywood and LA right now saying, how can I serve? How can I help? I mm. mean, no one ever said that before. 
Yeah, <laughs> they think, you know, did you, I don't know, did you go on some kind of yoga retreat? Like, what's, you know, <laughs> what's the deal, right? But now it's become the way that, that the community is working and the industry is moving towards. So I'm really happy with that. How refreshing. That's awesome yeah, to hear. I was going to say, it's like authenticity, like, not just like, here, let me what go do this do for, for a photo op. Yeah, yeah. like, yeah. it's really, how can I help? Hmm. I love, love it. Sergio, uh, I don't want to take up your entire day, although we could continue with every actor. We could talk for an hour on every actor that's in this film, every musician that worked on it, every like part of it is so beautiful. Uh, but thank you so much for jumping in or on or whatever you're supposed to say and talking to us. Uh, we really appreciate it. Thank you. Well, if I, I can go have an espresso and we can do another hour if you want. Listen, hey. you know, I just need coffee and I'm good to go. It'll be, <laughs> it'll, we'll do a mini series. It'll be cute. A mini series. Let's do it. Um, every, all the notes and all the links to uh, the Cuban will be in the show notes for this episode. Make sure you subscribe wherever you're watching or listening. And we thank you for listening and watching. We will see you next week, everyone. Keep creating. Bye. Bye. Thanks for doing this. Bye-bye. Thank Thank you you. for listening to Arts for the Health Event, a podcast produced by Hearts Need Art, creative support for patients and caregivers, in partnership with the National Organization for Arts and Health. You can help others learn about the healing power of the arts by subscribing, sharing, and reviewing the podcast wherever you listen or watch. The podcast is hosted by Richard Wilmore, co-hosted by Constanza Rader, and produced by Ivan Briones. Our theme song, Songbird, is written and performed by Natalie Lane. Visit heartseedart.org to learn how you can support our mission to create joy with people facing life-altering health challenges. Join us next week to learn more ways you can create art for the health of it. The views expressed on this podcast do not necessarily reflect the views of Heartseed Art, their staff, board members, or other affiliates. All content is created for informational purposes only. This podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice or to diagnose and treat any health condition. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health professional with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition. Never disregard professional medical advice or delay in seeking it because of something you heard on this podcast.